0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: So, in my opinion, we should be partners with USA and China. It would be much better if USA and Brazil start to walk together in spite of Brazil and China.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Delaney Howell on this relatively chilly Thursday. Delaney, how you doing?
2: Yeah, it is chilly. I'm not, I'm not digging it, Mike. Oh well, you know
0: it. It's today is a little bit nicer than you know last week when it was a hundred and two degree heat index. I think.
2: I kind of like it when it's that hot because I'm usually a cold person anyway. So the heat, I don't know, it just does something for me.
0: Well, I tell you what, I was out knocking back some weeds this morning, and I've been doing that for the better part of a week or so because I let my fence lines just get way out of control earlier Not this that year.
2: I, that's any surprise to anyone.
0: Right, but. I wasn't completely drenched in sweat today. So it's kind of nice.
2: Okay. Well, good.
0: For outside work. People that are actually doing work, Delaney. I I think that's a cooler temperature.
2: Are you saying I don't do any work?
0: Uh, So, what do you got for news? Uh
2: Nice. Way to move on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yesterday we did see Congress take a step closer to that conference uh, committee for the Farm Bill. The House agreed unanimously to go to conference and they named 47 conferees. So the Senate hasn't scheduled their vote yet. Uh so we're still kind of just waiting around for that.
0: All right, but we do know all the members have been named. They've they're there.
2: Mm-hmm. We
0: assume they're going to start hashing out the differences here.
2: Yes, and also on the House floor yesterday, um a new another new uh ag worker bill was unveiled. So It would be an H-2C visa program that would replace the current H-2A visa program. And just a couple of things here that are important. The bill would authorize 450,000 H-2C visas annually. Um, They're really trying to cut down on illegal uh, folks that are here illegally. So the H-2C visa program would give those folks that are here currently illegally the chance to apply and not be kicked out of the country, uh, if they, because a lot of them are seasoned agricultural workers, and also just put more um, insurance in the e-verify system, and then also, uh, according to Goodlit, who has you know been kind of at the forefront of these bills, he said it would reduce um, you know all the steps that you have to go through and hopefully make the process streamlined a little bit and easier for folks to get those workers that they need.
0: You know, Delaney, that that makes me think of a question that I want to ask our listeners. We've heard a lot about E-Verify since all of this immigration mm-hmm. talk has come in. And, folks, I want to ask you, if you've used E-Verify, find us on Facebook or Twitter. Just search for AgNews Daily. Let me know how it worked for you. I've heard complaints from a couple of different companies that I've worked with in the past about it not working and it being well, glitchy. And- yeah. I just, I, I wonder if actual employers find it useful. I, I, I've never used it, so I don't know.
2: Well, the other thing is it's an online system, so for folks in rural America that don't have strong Internet or broadband access, I wonder if the e-verify system still works, because according to uh, Senator Goodlett, the process to e-verify worker supposedly takes like two minutes is what he says. But if you don't have hmm. strong Internet access and whatever else go- is going on or, you know, you're not computer savvy or tech savvy, is it really that easy of a process?
0: Yeah. So, folks, uh, let us know if you've used it, if you've either been hired through E-Verify or if you've tried to verify somebody as an employer, uh, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, let us know how it worked, because, yeah, I, I truly have no idea what the actual practical applications are of it. Yep. Let's see, I've got some news here coming out, kind of a war of, of words between Washington, D.C. and Beijing. Uh, yesterday, Larry Kudlow, who is Donald Trump's National Economic Council director, made some comments at a conference in New York City. He said, quote, as far as we know, President G at the moment does not wish to make a deal. I do not think President G at the moment has any intention of following through on the discussions we made, unquote, about revamping the trade relationship between the U.S. and China. And so he said that yesterday, and now, of course, uh, the Chinese are firing back. And they said uh, this morning in a release from the foreign ministry, they said, quote, in front of the whole world, some U.S. officials are turning facts on their head and making false accusations. This is beyond the imagination of most people and is shocking, end quote. Hmm. So a little bit of a Tiff there between uh, the administrations of Donald Trump and President Xi in China.
2: Not that that's any surprise.
0: Well, yeah, you know, I suppose it's not, but it, you know, it seems like we should be to a point now where at least the two administrations should be on the same page, I would think.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I mean,
0: $2 down in the soybean market, a lot of you know, uncertainty for uh, shoppers, I, boy, I, I wish we'd have something to show for it.
2: Yeah, How so when we look at consumer prices, like in the grocery store, are goods and foods going to be cheaper or more expensive?
0: Great question, Delaney. And so I've been talking to a bunch of economists, mainly through Twitter. These are folks from around the world, and asking them that exact question because it seems as though protectionist measures should boost consumer prices. They should make things more expensive because that's what tariffs do. They raise Mm. the prices of goods in this country so so we can make stuff more expensively and be competitive. So for vehicles, for tractors, for obviously anything that uses steel or aluminum, those things are probably going to get more expensive. For food, when we look at corn and soybeans, you know, most of those price changes never get passed on to the end user mm-hmm. anyway. You know, we're still paying the prices for cornflakes that uh, the cornflakes companies jacked up to in 2008, even though prices have come way back down. So there's not going to be much of a change there. The wild card is on the it is a specialty type foods, pecans, almonds, uh, shrimp, the stuff that these foreign countries have directly retaliated against. Are we going to see lower prices from those retaliatory tariffs, translate into cheaper food at the grocery store. So or like orange
2: juice, too? You mean? Yeah, orange okay.
0: juice, um, bourbon mm-hmm. might get cheaper, theoretically. Or will folks in the middle of the supply chain keep prices the same and just pocket more money? And that's probably what's going to happen, that we won't see cheaper prices. Just the sellers are going to keep prices the same and pay less on the wholesale okay. side and put a little more cash in their pocket.
2: Hmm. Interesting. So it, like, consumers probably won't really ever know. Like if you don't have a direct correlation with ag or trade or manufacturing, you probably don't know that this is really going on and you won't see that in the grocery store.
0: Not in the grocery store necessarily, but consumers are going to see things cost them more money. I mean, the cost of buying everything is is going to go up. That's what protectionist measures are for and, That's what we're going to see take place. So now is not not a good time
2: for you to go buy a new car. Not that you would anyways. I said now is not really a good time for you to go buy a new car. Not that you would anyways.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. But I would say now is a great time to get out there and buy a used car because we are going to see those prices start to go up right in line with new car pricing. Oh, okay. So, yeah, get out there. I'm looking for a new truck right now. And, in fact, that actually reminds me, listeners, if you are in the market – For a (laughs) 2001 Chevy 2500 with an 8.1 liter engine.
2: You're not selling your truck on our podcast. Why not? We've got this platform. I got to use it, Delaney. Everybody that listens to the podcast has heard all the problems you have and know it is not worth any sort of value.
0: Yes, it is. It's an 8.1 liter gas engine with an Allison transmission and all it needs is a new transmission.
2: Oh yeah, great. That's probably the uh, cost of whatever you're trying to sell it for. I think you should scrap it and you get more money for that.
0: No, they're only going they to give me 160 bucks at the scrapyard.
2: Yeah, that sounds great. Take it.
0: Shush. What do you got for news?
2: Well, as we look at other trade frictions going on, um, <coughs> sorry. The U.S. is looking to, I guess, basically, and um, what should I say? spur another investigation. Um, against Canada for uranium, which wasn't a product I realized we imported a lot of from Canada. Mm -hmm. But uh, they already, of course, are doing an investigation on steel and aluminum. And now the U.S. has said we are also or the U.S. Commerce Department said they're going to open an investigation into uranium imports.
0: Oh, interesting. You know, yesterday I watched the South Park episode entitled Blame Canada, which certainly seems to be nice. Maybe on the minds of the administration.
2: I don't really know what we use uranium for, but apparently Canada is the largest exporter of uranium to the U.S.
0: Nuclear power, I believe, and nuclear weapons.
2: Yeah, well, that makes sense then.
0: And I think they use it in, like, if you go and get some of those special medical tests, Mm -hmm. it's radioactive, so I think it makes your blood glow. So they can see, I think that's uranium,
2: I'm They've no got a idea. nuclear
0: medicine thing here at the hospital in Grinnell, but I don't quite know what they do.
2: Okay. Go test <sighs> it out. What's that? I said you should go test it out then.
0: Yeah, maybe they'd make me like a superhero.
2: Maybe. What else you, know, you got?
0: get? Get nuclear... Thing in my blood. I've got mm. just one other piece of news here before I uh, I am done for the day, and this is coming on the heels of all of the the bad news we've talked about vis-a-vis trade. It certainly seems as though the protectress measures are doing their part to improve employment here in this country. Earlier this morning, the unemployment the applications for unemployment benefits were released. And it is at a 48-and-a-half-year low.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: 207,000 people applied for unemployment benefits, which is uh, the lowest it's been since 1969.
2: Okay. That's uh, good.
0: That's good news.
2: Yeah.
0: it's good news. That means more people have jobs and they are sticking with it. And hopefully they're going to take that money and use it to uh, to buy some delicious... Beef ribeyes or pork chops or some type of value-added food that they can celebrate over the summer with.
2: I had a hamburger for lunch, so I'm supporting it. Good for you. Absolutely. Let's see. Okay, so speaking of consumer preferences, the only other piece of news I had for today was about something that a lot of consumers, especially those that don't understand agriculture, place a high emphasis on. So that's the value of free-range and cage-free poultry or eggs. A new report released by the Council for Agricultural Science and Technology, or CAST, found that although a lot of consumers perceive free-range and cage-free as more, quote, animal welfare friendly, they've done some research about this by comparing different production systems and have found results to be inconclusive and often contradictory, showing that there is not necessarily a benefit to uh to animals or to chickens that are raised cage free or free range.
0: Absolutely, because Delaney, you've had chickens, right, in the past? Yes, absolutely. And I assume they were just kind of yard chickens.
2: <laughs> yep, they're free range. You could call them.
0: Yeah, did they ever attack each other?
2: Uh, not that I recall.
0: Okay. Growing up, we had broilers, and man, they were, oh. they just go after one another like crazy. And so when people would talk about cage free, I'd just flash back to being nine years old and watching these, uh, these broiler chickens mercilessly peck one of their, uh, I guess, oh. brothers to death. <laughs> their, their brothers. I, I don't know. I never, uh, I didn't look for a cloaca, but, uh,
2: Interesting. Well, I guess, yeah. It's so the article did say that, the main conclusion to draw in regards to nutritional composition is that, and this is should be a no-brainer to people, but it's more reflective of what birds ate rather than what type of production system was used to raise those
0: chickens. There we go. That makes perfect sense. Yep. Well, let's see. Should we figure out today what it would cost to raise those birds by looking at the markets?
2: Let's do it, Mike.
0: All right, and folks, we do have some green on the screen today. It's another great day to get in touch with our friends up at the Zaner Group to put a marketing plan in place for those bushels you haven't yet sold. Give them a call at three one two two seven seven zero zero five zero, or visit them on the web at Zaner z a n e r dot com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Like I said, green on the screen, starting with corn. The September contract up four cents at three fifty one and a quarter. December new crop also up four at three sixty five even. In soybeans, the August contract up three and three quarters at 846 even. November also higher by three and three quarter cents to close at eight sixty-one and a half. and a half. Even Chicago wheat got in on the action today with the September contract up nine and three quarters cents to close at 504 and a quarter. The December up nine and three quarters close the day at five twenty and a half. and a half. Looking over on the livestock side, we've got mixed trade in the cattle complex. The August live cattle contract down a nickel at 108.90. The October unchanged on the day finished at 110.65. In feeder cattle, the August contract unchanged on the day at 154.45 while September was up 12.5 cents to close at 154.77.50. And strength in the front month lean hogs. August up a nickel at 67.25. October up thirty cents, closed at fifty two twenty two fifty. And a quick look over at the dairy market, Class Three milk. We've got the July contract down four cents at fourteen twenty one, with August down twenty five cents to close at fourteen eighty four. Today we've got more interviews from our intern Hannah Pagel, while she is working with a group of farmers from the southern hemisphere. But before we get to that, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. <laughs> With us again this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Latham has folks with boots on the ground throughout the growing season, keeping track of what's going on in the crops and in the fields. And Phil, you've been out. What have you seen? What's jumping out at you this year?
3: Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of things overtaking crops yet, but we're right at that point where it's getting to the point, you know, we want to be considering a fungicide if that's the case. and. One one disease that's been jumping out, it's a really distinctive one. For those that have seen it, it's called Physoderma brown spot. Uh, it shows up as a kind of a purple or kind of chocolate-colored brown spots right in the midriff of the leaf and even can show up on the stalk of the plant, uh, on the corn plant. So it's, it's a very diagnostic disease. Uh, a fungal disease that can not be treated with a, with a fungicide around R1 time period. You just got to check and make sure that those labels are, are labeled for physoderma brown spot. Make sure that you're, you're diagnosing the disease correctly. It can be misdiagnosed. Uh, southern rust as well as eye spot can kind of look similar in terms of, of leaf symptoms. Um, but, but, but a fungicide and some good rotation and even maybe some tillage might be necessary to help Help with control.
0: All right, folks. Keep all that in mind, and always remember, Latham High Tech Seeds has expertise across the Midwest, and to put that to work on your farm. Give them a shout at eight seven seven GO Latham, or visit the website at LathamSeeds dot com.
4: All right, Mike and Delaney. Today, I am with Luis Eduardo Gonzalez. He is a Brazilian, and he is a farmer, and he also owns a John Deere dealership. So first off, Luis Eduardo, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Hannah. So first off, why don't we start off with just telling our listeners just a little bit about your background in Brazil.
5: So uh, my father, my family has been farming since the 80s, and I took over the business uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, trying to uh, get things go- get things going again, especially the the, the dealership, and from the dealership, uh, then we're starting to take over the farming business as well. Not only taking over, but expanding a lot.
3: Okay,
4: and what uh, crops do you grow in uh, Brazil?
5: Basically, soybean and corn, uh, and okay. with double with double crop, corn as well.
4: And what part of Brazil are you from?
5: Well, I, I'm originally uh, from the state of São Paulo, but I live in Brasília for my whole life. And uh, our farms are in the state of Goiás, and uh, now uh, uh, a really large farm we just rented in the state of Tocantins.
4: Okay, and is it just you farming, or you're still with your family?
5: Well, it's kind of it's kind of a, a divided operation. So my 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 father and my sister they take care of the farming in the Midwest sector, and I take care of the farming in the the North sector of Brazil.
4: Okay. And then, for your John Deere dealership, what type of products are you selling to the farmers in Brazil?
5: Basically, all the the products that you guys have here, uh, in, th- in terms of grains. Uh, tractors, planters, combines, have the same combines you have here, and uh, sprayers as well.
4: Very nice. So... Our podcast has been talking quite a bit about the trucker strike that has been going on in Brazil, and I know I talked with you a little bit earlier yes. this week on that, but I wanted to get your perspective again on your thoughts on this trucker strike, and can you tell us, is it resolved in your country? It's
5: kind of. It's not really resolved. I mean, uh, the government, they just did uh, whatever they, the truckers wanted uh, to do, just, just just, to make it stop, because it's amazing. The truckers, they stopped the country for 15 days. So that's how fragile our infrastructure, and that's how fr- how fragile the, 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 this government is uh, in terms of economics. So, I mean, it's just crazy thinking of that uh, one little class of uh, a really tiny part of the economy can stop the whole country.
4: Mm-hmm. And how did it impact your farming operation? Oh, uh,
5: a lot. They impact a lot. Not only the farming, the 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 John Deere business as well. Mm-hmm. We, we couldn't get parts, we couldn't get the, the machinery, so it was crazy. They have to they have to rethink the whole logistics systems of Brazil.
4: And have they touched on ways that they're going to maybe solve it in the future, or what uh, measures are they taking?
5: I think that they should uh, they should privatize, you know, and and let the businessmen take care of that. Mm-hmm. The government should not be involved in stuff like that they don't have the the capacity to do that Mm -hmm. they're not competent enough
4: okay and speaking about government so one of the big topics that is going on in the talk of Brazil right now is the upcoming election Uh, what can you tell us about the candidates that are running and then what are on the minds of Brazilian citizens as this upcoming election
5: well we have just about everything in terms of candidates we have uh, some really well prepared people but not so popular and have some uh i I might say some crazy guys Mm -hmm. and uh what i can see is like people not only brazilians they are running away from those what i call the professional politics politicians Mm -hmm. so uh just like trump here and macron in france and uh macri in argentina and doria which is a uh uh a highly successful uh, businessman in Brazil. He's the mayor of the city of Sao Paulo. It's a huge city. So think people, I think, they are tending to go that way. And in, in, in that sense, I think Bolsonaro has a good chance, at least, uh, to go to the second round.
4: Okay. And do they, each of the candidates, are they agricultural-minded in that sense?
5: Bolsonaro is the, 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 he has uh, the mindset towards that. He's probably the, the 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 I don't know the m- most uh, likely to be better for mm-hmm. egg the ag business, but we can we cannot look just in that perspective. I mean uh, the country as, as a whole needs to work.
4: Mm-hmm. Is there one candidate who's kind of like you know it's going to be him, or is it kind of an open playing field for? Uh, it, I
5: I I have no idea which way it's going to go. I think Lula is not running. I think that's for sure. He's in jail now. And, uh, Can you
4: explain why he was in jail? Corruption Corruption, corruption. Yes, corruption okay.
5: He took uh, He accepted an apartment mm-hmm. As payment for something about A, 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 a contract business mm-hmm. With a, a, a large um, firm in Brazil And got busted So that's why he's in jail And he has o- another five um, Indictments that he's going to face In the f- nearby future And they tried to get him out of of jail, I don't know, maybe 15 days ago, and they they didn't. So uh, that part's going well. I mean, we're we're, we're taking care of of that in Brazil. Because that's that's probably the the main thing that keeps us from uh, getting better. That's probably the main thing that keeps us from getting a a better infrastructure and logistics system, for instance. So uh, since he's out of the race, I think it's an open field.
4: Openfield. Yeah. And who did you say can you can you share with us who you who you think you'll be voting for? I
5: think I'm gon- I'm going to be voting for Henrique Meirelles who was uh, the president of, of the the Central Bank of Brazil which is our fed here in you in the US and he was the, the president of Bank Boston when Bank Boston existed but uh, he's a and he was uh, the minister of uh, economy for for a while so he's really really well prepared.
4: Very nice. Well, again, to our listeners, this is Luis Eduardo Gonsalves, and thank you again for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank
5: you, Hannah, for having me.
4: All right, Mike and Delaney, so my second interview for you today is with Sabalto Finger. He is a rice farmer from Brazil. So first off, Sabalto, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Hannah. It's a pleasure.
4: Now, why don't we just start off, can you tell us where your farm is in Brazil?
1: Okay. First of all, I'm sorry for my rut in English. I will try to <laughs> make myself clear. I live deep south in Brazil, in Rio Grande do Sul, in the border border with Argentina.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've been a rice farmer since I remember. I'm the fifth generation of my family. And uh, Itaqui is the name of my city.
4: Okay. Yeah. And what is, for our listeners, can you give them an idea of what... Brazilian agriculture is like in your area?
1: Yeah, probably the average area for the farmers in my city and my region in Rio Grande do Sul it's close to a thousand hectares, so it made a conversion for acres, (laughs) I I don't know and probably this is the size of the farms and we most produce rice in the Fronteiro Oeste, that is our region but soybeans and corn are the main.
4: Okay. Yeah. And so, as a rice farmer, are there any challenges that you had to overcome?
1: Yes, a lot. Um, the rice, fa- the the rice market now is uh, n- not good at all. We cannot export because we have to let leave the rice in our. Country, you know, because we have lots of mouths to feed, Mm -hmm. and that's our main goal. Because as long as it's a cheap food that everybody should eat, the government do not do not put a good price on it. Okay. And we do not have any Mm protectionism from the government. Okay. We would like to export, but the taxes to export are huge. And so this way we have to sell Mm -hmm. for a low price. That's what's killing us right now. Mm -hmm. And also we are competing with rice that came from Paraguay, Argentina, and lots of places that come cheaper than ours. Mm -hmm. So our prices go down.
4: Okay. And we had a discussion earlier on this week and you were telling me about how a lot of rice farms have been going out of business. Out of business, yes. Uh, can you explain why that is?
1: Because we do not not have profit anymore. Mm-hmm. My cost to produce a bag of rice from of 50 kilos, that's a bag of rice, uh, it's 46 reais, like 15 dollars. And the government pay me close to nine dollars. Mm-hmm. So I'm paying to farm. And a lot of farmers, rice farmers are doing just cattle right now or maybe changing to soy, even though our region is not good at all because we do have precipitation, we do have rain, but we do not have that in scales. You know, we have in, like in one month, in one month, could rain like 300 millimeters in one month and in the other one nothing. Okay. That's why the soybean is so difficult for us in Rio Grande do Sul.
4: Okay, but so with Trump putting on tariffs with China and the demand for soybeans going up in Brazil, have farmers switched from rice production to soybeans?
1: We'll try to and we are trying to. Uh, Even I'm going to farm like 100 hectares this year and it has been 15 years that we do not uh, harvest soybeans in my farm. So I'm excited but I don't think that's going to be a good idea because as long as we are start to produce more soybeans, somehow China will make the same thing in Brazil that they made with USA. Mm -hmm. You know, they will... But the price is low, so they can buy something, and after that, they are they win the market.
4: Okay, and since Trump has put the tariffs on, how has it impacted your markets? Or I mean, obviously, your prices or it's it's a good thing for Brazil, correct?
1: Yes, yes, it's a good thing, <laughs> <laughs> a very good thing. Our prices are really high right now, mm-hmm. and we are trying. We do not have to speculate anymore because we know the prices are good. As long as USA is being fighting with China, this is really good for us, mm-hmm. really good for us. But that's my fear. I think the next step is China is going to fight with Brazil also. Okay. After they got all the soybeans that they want. To.
4: You think China will have a, a fight with Brazil?
1: Yes, I think.
4: As, in what way?
1: Because now they are buying all our soybeans right? Mm-hmm. And after doing that for like probably three or four, four, four maybe five years from now, they will do the same thing that like, like they do with the USA. That's my concern. So in my opinion we should be partners with USA, no China. It would be much better if USA and Brazil starts to walk together in spite of Brazil and China. Make this deal. And Brazil and USA are much more closer Mm -hmm. and even cultural stuff then as with the Chinese of course they do have a lot of people they do have to feed a lot of people uh, like we do and I I think we should be USA partners not China partners
4: How would you want to see that partnership with the US and Brazil? I
1: think uh, of course we do not have money like you do and we do not have logistics like in transportation, that's our main concern. So I think, I don't know if funds or something, uh, I think the USA could invest some money in Brazil, in that kind of stuff, in logistics. If USA invests in logistics, if Brazil invests in logistics, even in railroads, even uh, by river that we have a lot, by trains that we left hours behind and We only transport it by truck Mm -hmm. and this is not a good deal, our roads do not flow, it is very, very difficult. So I think if USA invest in that, it would be much easier for us to put these grains out, Mm -hmm. even to USA, that's my point.
4: All right. so my last question for you then, since you've been here in Iowa for a week learning about Midwest agriculture, what are some key takeaways or things that you have learned that you are wanting to take back with you to Brazil?
1: I think the most important thing is notice that this year is going to be a huge year for you in crops. You will harvest lots of corn. And that's the information that I should come to Brazil and talk to my other friends. Um, This year Brazil is passing through a rough time because we have elections Mm -hmm. and we don't even know who is running for president and uh, we do not have any good name that's my main concern. I don't know but I think we should do something like similar like you did here with Trump uh, not putting in the balance if Trump's a good or a bad president. I would vote for him if I was here, because I think now we have other Republicans that are better than them, but I will vote always for Republican, mm-hmm. and but not for Trump. But to get the Democrats, they should put Trump, okay. like we do, we must do now in Brazil. We should put Bolsonaro, that's not a good name, mm-hmm. but he is the necessary evil. I made myself clear. So after that, he, after him, could be another better one Mm -hmm. from the right side. That's that's what I meant. But the main main information I think is that Americans should harvest and should crop corn and Brazil's holly. I think that's that's a trade and that's how we should run the market and trying to it is not possible but trying to see further what China w- would do because they are always tricky you know mm-hmm. like what they did with, with USA so as long as we don't wanna pass through the same thing we should be USA partners I, I don't know how can that work but I think we should go this way.
4: And that's what you would like to see? Yes. Okay, awesome. Well, again, Sobalto Finger, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today and giving your perspective from Brazilian agriculture to Midwest agriculture.
1: Thank you, Hannah. I appreciate your time. And, uh, and again, I'm sorry for my English. I'll try to get better <laughs> for the next time.
4: No, <laughs> you sound wonderful. And with that, Mike and Delaney, I'll throw it back to you.
2: All right. Well, again, a big thank you to Hannah for continuing those discussions. She said she has been talking to them, too, Mike, about doing an Ag News Daily trip to Brazil.
0: (laughs) I would love it. I want to
2: get to Brazil. Yeah, me too. Especially, I mean, so many reasons, but absolutely.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Indeed. Want to get down there? Maybe uh, spend a couple days in Rio, go to the beach and then, of course, look at beans and, and whatnot.
2: Yeah. Oh, I see where your priorities are. That's nice. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> We've got to see enough agriculture to write the trip off. That's the key.
2: Well, okay, sure. I want to see what about it. folks but. want
0: to get more of our information, or if they want to tweet at us about their experiences with E-Verify, where should they go?
2: That's right, Mike. They can find us on Facebook and on Twitter by searching for at AgNewsDaily. They can also find us online www.agnewsdaily.com and hit that nice contact us and hit the submission form there. We get those directly to our email inboxes. With that, Mike, should we let the people go?
0: Let, Let them go.